One year ago today, I preached a message called The One Thing, and if you remember that, it's probably because this morning, if you were here last year, you received this morning an envelope that had in it what you wrote last year. I was about ready to send this out in the mail like we had planned, and I found that a lot of you just put your name on it, and then there were other people that just put their address on it, and then there were some that didn't put anything on it. So because we had sealed them up, and I told you that I wasn't going to look at it, it was just between you and and you and and you and and you, that... uh, that we just decided to hand them out today. And if you were here last year and you filled out one, uh, Brianna will have it. She's up here, and if she doesn't, she'll make up one for you. No, anyway, uh, what that is, you're thinking, well, what was that? Some of us can't remember what we ate for lunch yesterday, so we can't remember a year ago. But what was a year ago is the one thing. And we said if there was one thing that you could focus on the rest of 2018, what would it be that that thing would bring, again, about a, a harvest in your life? The greatest thing, you know, the, uh, and, and because I didn't read it, I, I noticed that some people told me later, they said, well, you know, Pastor, I, 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 I had three things. Some people say, well, you know, I had a list, and I know it's hard, but, but that's the importance of focusing on one thing and, and saying, you know what, the, the energy and the level of focus I have in an accomplished thing this one thing will bring a return. We talked about Nehemiah. Some of you now are remembering Nehemiah, how he had one thing and he focused on rebuilding the wall. He had all these distractions, all these people, the enemy tried to ambush him and he said, no, 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 this is the one thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to build this wall for the glory of God. You know, the thing that I had is one thing I'm still working on and that is our building project, and, and it's amazing how God is, is bringing me every step of the way to trust Him. I'm not going to go into that, but it's a process, isn't it? When you begin to have faith for the one thing that God is doing, now I'm not saying you can't have faith for a lot of things, but the one thing that you're focusing on, that you're putting your energy in this morning, we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul in the one thing. This is a message that I wish that I could bring everybody, everybody that's sick this morning, everybody that's on vacation, everybody that calls the chapel their home, you know, the Easter or the Christmas attenders, the poinsettia lily crowd, the the whole group, if we could all get together, this is the message that I would say, you have to know. This is the message that I tell every new believer as they come in to make the commitment to Jesus Christ and say, yes, I'm ready to say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. What I tell them is the most important thing that you can do is have a first revelation of who God is in your life. A revelation is realizing that in in the kingdom of God, as we enter in, that we're children of, of God, that we are kings and queens to rule and reign on this earth. And it sometimes it becomes so bogged up because the soup that we live in, the culture that we live in, is telling us all these critical things and you're not that, you're not good, you're not... And we begin to believe that. But when you're in the Word of God, and we know that the Word of God changes our thinking and it changes our destiny, it changes who we are, our DNA, then it begins to, 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 to radiate out of us when we know who God is. It's different than knowing about God. And, and we're going to talk about this today. So I want you to see in 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. If you need a notebook, we have some in the back, and and uh, Pastor Mark's back there, and he'll help you out if you'll just look at him and, you know, do this, you know. But anyway, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want you to write this passage down because some of you, when you're thinking about the one thing, I want you to read this over and over. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. Here's Paul. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of which, of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, see, that's sometimes so foreign to the person that says, okay, I want to make a verbal commitment Versus the person that says, I made the verbal commitment to God, but I'm going to walk out it by faith. Here's Paul. And he begins to think about what Jesus possibly even said in Matthew chapter 10, which he said, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, in the world we live in, we hear verses like that and we go, what? Say that, say that again. Okay, say it slowly. Slower, slower. Didn't get it. Tell me what it means. See, we get caught up in trying to find, you know, all these things. And, and all we can find is a square peg to fit in the round hole, the thing that's missing in our life. And we scream, I'm so tired of being tired. When Paul says this, I believe that he's referring to, again, what Jesus said. If you lose your life, for my sake, Jesus says. In other words, you make me Lord and Savior of your life, and you'll find life like you never experienced it before. When you think about it, when Jesus offers us a trade-off for just being busted and disgusted all the time, for an abundant life full of joy. Sometimes we think when we hear that, it would be a no-brainer, but sometimes it's not that. It's, it's trying to reason out in our mind, is it true? Because it so, sounds so good, can it be true? To totally sell out to God and to live His purpose for our lives. To go around with a smile on our face and people go, whoa, 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 what's up with you? I heard an illustration about a, a tragedy that helped, happened in the Alps mountain. And there was an amateur climber. And they called in a professional mountain climber to rescue him. And in an accident, lost his life. And they said they put on his tombstone that the guy that went to save his life, here's the quote, he died climbing. And something about that quote, when I heard that this week, in preparing my message, oh, oh, well, i got to put that in there. Because see, here's a guy that's living his life for what he loved to do. His per- he, I'm going cl- to go. And so many people would love to have that on their epitaph, but a lot of people would say, he died on the couch watching TV. 
Let me tell you, when you understand what God has for you, when you understand what is happening because God loves you, there's something about it changing your ambitions in life. See, achievement is rarely greater than our dreams. Ambitions are important. And understanding that a lazy man usually aims for nothing and always hits it. We get to the point that we begin to say, okay, God, I would like to do something in my life that is greater than just myself. I want to sell out totally to you, God. I want you to begin to pour your life into me that I'm able to change the world that's around me. God, how do I do that? How how do I begin to do that? Let me ask you a sobering question. What you're believing for, what you're hoping for, what you're working for, If you get to accomplish your goals, when you get to where you're going, what have you done? Have you actually thought about that? Because in our life of so many distractions, we begin to do this little thing, this little thing, this little thing, this little thing, and bang, it's retirement. And bang, we're thinking about where we're going to spend the next few years because we only have a few years left. Have you... Leaned your ladder against something to find the top of it and realize that you've leaned it against the wrong wall? See, this is Apostle Paul's life. And when he came to the realization that all his goals were unworthy, he had a decision and he traded in in all his ambitions for one obsession. And that was this. I want to know Christ. This morning as we're in the series, The Kingdom, to realize that we have a way of thinking that sometimes doesn't line up with the Word of God. That what has been framing our thinking isn't the Word of God but maybe the modern culture that we live in, or maybe even somebody that meant well that spoke down to us and said, you're not that. Again, those words of Paul, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of what Christ Jesus took hold of me. Let me give you a way of thinking about this. As Paul got to the point that said, I want to know Christ, I read the rest of those verses and I know that he kind of spells them out and I'm going to use some alliterations, kind of a point, so that it'll help us remember hopefully from now on and you can write these down. But here's the first thing that you see. He says, I want to know Christ personally. He says, oh, that I might know him. You know what Paul is saying? I want to know him more than I know him now. Did you hear me? See, there's something about us that we want to chalk off. I know God. But let me tell you, somebody that studies the Word of God because my job says on Sundays I'm presenting the Word of God to a group of people that are expecting something beside a, you know, sleeper. And, and I'm studying the Word of God, and I'll do something in my personal life, and I'll go, no, I shouldn't have done that. 
what did I just hear about that? Who said, I said that last Sunday. My point is that I have to continually hear the word of God. I have to say, God, I love you and I want to know you greater than I do that I did yesterday. God, I have to have that hunger, God, that I want to know you. There's something about having a first-hand revelation of who God is in our life instead of what grandma or what mama's revelation and told us who God was. I've said this before, but there's a difference about knowing about God and knowing God. There's an intimate way of knowing God, and that's why when we come to worship, that sometimes we, we're, we're, we're too distracted by actually entering into the, the chambers of it, just intimacy. See, see, there's a difference. Let me just show you this. It's, it's so far different than this, but just as a, a, a surface illustration, is if somebody was around you and you said, how old are you and you're, they're an older person? Yeah, I knew John F. Kennedy. And you said, you knew John F. Kennedy? Yeah. And they said, yeah, some little quirk about him. He wore yellow socks with a blue suit. You, I never knew that. That's wild. You knew? Yeah, I knew him. But how many people would agree that Jackie Kennedy would know John F. Kennedy a lot better than that person? There's a time when we have to realize as a believer that we need to know God. Not just what the pastor says on Sunday. Not just what somebody else in our life has said about God. But to know Him with intimacy in our life. Do you know that it's as absurd for a Christian to say, yes, I discovered Jesus, so I'm good to go. I know everything about him. It's about as absurd as when Christopher Columbus discovered America and said, yeah, I discovered America. I know everything about it. He never realized that there was over 10,000 lakes in America. He didn't know this because they didn't even know until Lewis and Clark what happened in the West. So some of us have only discovered, only really been introduced to Jesus, so to speak, on the shores of Revelation. I, I love the song that he's the, as we sung, he's the hero of heaven that is calling us to come on out deeper. In other words, to get to know him better than what we do now. To know him personally. I think Paul's obsession was also to know Christ powerfully. And you can't know God powerfully if you're not willing to get out of the boat. See, because when you get out of the boat and you begin to walk by faith and things are a little bit uncomfortable and you realize that God says, I got you. And you go, wow. Brianna kind of stole my thunder already this morning by talking about my verse in Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> Sorry, Brianna. Ephesians chapter 1 where it says that Paul says, oh, if you would know that the power that works in you is the power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, now see, you, how you respond to that, and I don't mean you have to jump up, Woo! I don't mean that, but the way that responds inside when you hear that, again, a revelation of who God is to know Christ powerfully.
to have resurrection power over sin, over ourselves, and all the stuff that goes on, all the circumstances that we go through in life. Power. See, that's the wisdom of God's Word that works through our identity as kings or queens. That's the wisdom that gives us the ability to have stickability. It's probably one of the best abilities that I can, and I kind of make it up, you know, stickability. When you know Christ powerfully, it gives you the ability to stick through it, to give you a little grit, a lot of grit in your life. See, somebody can come up to a lot of people that are even believers and go, boo, and they go, okay, I'm giving up. He said boo to me. I don't think he meant it like that. I don't care, boo. He said boo. Haven't we all experienced that? And if we're not careful, yeah, I did, I did, I did, I did. Did you ever do that? Because see, people that do not have stickability don't realize the power of God working in that believer. It hurts me so much when I hear somebody and they'll, they'll give me a testimony and they'll say, Pastor, you know, I, I have given up so many times. I, it's like a cycle. Every time that I've, I've, earned, I've worked and I've worked and I've experienced this in my life of God and then something happened and I cashed it all in. It's not worth it. But then I came back again and I came back again and gave up again. I quit. And I haven't served God for all these years. They never knew Christ powerfully in what He could do in their life. You know, I, I love the, the story as we've talked about the last couple of weeks of Peter's revelation when he said, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Not all the other people. Who, disciples, do you say that I am? What is your revelation of who I am? See, it's easier to say, well, some are saying this and some say, no, no, who do you say? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Can you, can you stop it just a minute? See, we're worshiping God that Jesus, 2,000 some years later, and we believe that he's a Messiah. But can you put yourself in Peter's shoes that make that big, bold statement? Because he knew Jesus powerfully in his life. He had witnessed the power of God in his life. And again, here's Paul and he says, I want to know that resurrection power working in my life. The third thing that I want you to see is he knew Christ. He wanted to know Christ passionately. I love this thought. He's to the place that he says, I want to share the sufferings of Jesus. Again, I want to know what hurts him because then it hurts me. What bothers him bothers me. You know, you know, when somebody's selfish and that hurts God, that hurts me. When somebody is easily offended, oh, that hurts me because it hurts God. Some of us don't realize that Jesus still can suffer. And when I got this understanding, I thought, wow, Jesus still can suffer? Do you remember in the New Testament when Paul's conversion happens on the Damascus Road and he gets, you know, he's knocked down and he sees light and, and, and Jesus says, Saul, because his name is Saul before Paul, and he goes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you understand? Paul had, Saul had been going around, Paul had been going around persecuting the church. But Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? the body of Christ. 
And every time that there's somebody or something that is walking in that offense, that bitterness, that selfishness, and it hurts the body of Christ, it hurts Jesus. To know Christ passionately. Here, here is Paul, and, and here he is, the persecutor, and he becomes desiring to be Paul the persecuted. All the disciples are martyred, killed, except John, and he's, he was almost boiled in oil. So, so we could say all of them had their day. Have you ever thought that if, if Jesus was a fake, come on, you probably have before, but if, if you ever thought he was a fake, do you think that his disciples would have been martyred for a fake if they knew something's going on. Not, not one of them said, oh, oh, before you cut off my head, I just want to tell you it's all a hoax. No. That they loved him passionately. They had seen, they've walked with him and they wanted to know him. And here's Paul, he goes, I, I want to know him like that. I want to know him passionately. What hurts him hurts me. Again, the obsession to knowing Christ personally, powerfully, and passionately. And this morning, you might be here and you go, oh, oh, pastor, yeah, yeah, that's me. I, I want to know Christ like that. Let me give you some things that will give you maybe the ability to push down the roadblocks, the obstacles that keep coming in your way. And every time that you go through a depression, you go through sadness, you go through fear, you go through doubt, you go through unbelief, and all these things come in your life to say, oh, Jesus doesn't want to know you. Or maybe you don't have time to know Jesus. Let me give you some of my suggestions that, again, is brought out in this passage. Again, I'm going to give you things that you can remember. And the first one is facing your faults. Remember, it's a, a work in progress. It's the tip of the spear. And when you're coming to know Christ and you're saying, God, I want to know you. Is you have to face your faults. Listen to what it says. Not that I've already attained it or that I've already, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may hold on to which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He, he's to the place where he's saying, you know what? I'm not there yet. Do you guys understand what I just read? This is the Apostle Paul. A lot of times when you're talking about Apostle Paul or Moses or Isaiah or whoever, you forget that they were just men. You realize they had to get their hair cut. Huh? That if they worked outside a long time, they, they had B.O. Huh? I, I want to show you again, not to be crude, but to realize that they're men. And, and sometimes when we say, oh, well, the Apostle Paul did it, I could never do it. But here is Paul. And he's saying, man, I, I haven't got to that place yet. Realize that satisfaction of where you are is the greatest enemy of spiritual progress and growth in your life. 
until you get to the place where you say, you know what, I'm not satisfied where I am in my life. Now, again, I'm not talking about contentment. I'm not talking about, as Paul said later, he says, I can be content in any situation because contentment, spiritual contentment says that I am not going to allow the circumstances around me to dictate how I feel and the joy of life to be taken away from me. But in this situation, Paul is saying, man, I'm not to where I am that where I want to be spiritually. As long as the burning desire is there to know Christ more, that growing relationship will continue. We've heard about the illustration about the coal that is taking outside of the fire and set for a while. It's not long until that coal begins to become colder and colder until the fire burns out. And it's the same way in our church that, you know, even though that there's so many things that distract us and so many things that beckon for our time, there's kids sporting events and there's work that could be done and all this stuff that goes on in our life to get us away. This is so important to come together on Sundays and worship together to keep the fire growing hot. But this is not your only form, hopefully, of nourishment in the Word of God. That each one of us is a spiritual self-feeder in our own life. Okay, now watch this. Here is Paul, and before he becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, he thinks he's got everything going on. He's young. He's uh, praised by the Jewish people of the day. I mean, he's got everything. He's flattered for his birth, his zeal, his pedigree, his cleverness, his education. Everything seems to be just in line. But the moment that he has a first-hand revelation of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden he comes to grip with, oh me, oh my. Even to the place where he says, everything that I've done in life compared to what knowing Jesus is dung. If you know the story of Isaiah, he has a revelation of coming into the throne room of God. And when he sees God, he says, Oh, is me, because I'm a sinful man. Now, I want you to see this. Before they see God, before they know God personally, they think they're pretty good. That's what satisfaction is in our spiritual walk. I'm good. I'm just as good as him, just as good as her. But the moment that we have a firsthand revelation, we go, Oh, God, I, I want to know you more. Again, the second thing is to forgetting your failures. And this is something that I believe that I've said over and over, but I want you to see it in the passage of Scripture. Paul says, I'm forgetting those things that are behind me. And In other words, he's saying, I refuse all the past ghosts of haunting me in my life. Remember, this is a guy that has persecuted the church, drug women and children out of their homes and put them in prison, killed them for their belief in God. And some of the things that we've done, we will not allow God to forgive them. Sometimes we allow our failures in our life to cause us to quit. That's why I'm so excited about the people that attend church. They're saying, you know what, I'm going to come, I'm going to show up. 
And I'm going to encourage you, even if you go through a period of season in your life where you go, you know what, I, I just don't feel it. I, I, just don't, I just don't know anymore. To just continue to be faithful to the house of the Lord. To enter in, even though you don't feel it, even though you don't see it, even though you can't taste it, touch it. You know, faith is being sure of the things we hope for, certain of the things we do not see. So, so here is Paul, and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to forget all those things behind, and the one thing that I'm going to do is I'm not going to quit. All the things that he'd gone through and quitting is the thing that can become a habit in our lives that can cause failure. But other than that, nothing. We've talked about failure is not final in our lives because we do not even own the failure. God owns it if we've been forgiven of our sins. So, so let me show you this. Even when we take personal examples, which encourages us even in the natural realm of like sporting events or, or in the area of business, when we, when we read things like Ty Cobb, you, you remember guys, some of you know baseball, and back in the 20s and the early 1900s, Ty Cobb was the best base dealer of the day. But a lot of people don't realize that he held the record for the most times of being thrown out while trying to steal. Babe Ruth, woo, a baseball idol. I mean, he hit the most home runs of his day. But few people know he holds the record for striking out the most. The, the beautiful singer, the tenor Caruso, that lived and died in the 1920s, and he's from Italy, and he's got all that going on, you know, ooh, opera singer. Do, do you know that his voice coach told him to quit when he was young because he couldn't hurt, hit the, the high notes? Thomas Edison invented, you know, the, the way to, to have the incandescent light. But his teacher called him a dunce. So his mother brought him home and taught him at home. When, when you think about it, it took 14,000 tries to get the incandescent light right. You could say, wow, what a guy, but he failed 13,999 times. Failure. But he forgot his failure. Albert Einstein flunked out of mathematics in school. Henry Ford was penniless and broke at the age of 40 but died one of the richest men in the world. What I'm trying to say is, forget your failures. You, you can recognize them, but don't let them chain you from getting to your future. Face your faults, forget your failures. The third one is, focus your faith. Now, let me just bring this home. Paul says again, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take an hold of it, but one thing I do. See, this year when you're thinking, what's the one thing? The one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind me, I'm straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In a few hours, what's going to be played is called the Super Bowl. And I'll guarantee you, they, the players are going to get on that field and they're not going to wear, worry about their uniforms or, or even how high the grass is. Could I get somebody come out and mow this little spot, right? They're not going to worry about The one thing they're going to be focused on is what? Winning the game. They're going to forget all the things of the year and they're going to say, we're going to win this game. They're going to win the prize. 
Do you know that even what Paul is talking about when he illustrates about the runner running the race? He's referring to the Olympic Games. Here he is in, in ancient Rome, and he's pulling out a reference to the Olympics. And he says, as a runner races and, and goes for the prize, he strains towards what is his head. He presses towards the goal to win the prize. This morning, a lot of times what keeps you from knowing Christ personally and passionately and, and even powerfully in your life is not realizing that you have to focus your faith. See, you have all these things going on, all these distractions in your life, and they're all important, but they're not the one thing. They're not the most important thing. They're not number one priority in your life. That priority is knowing Christ. There's so many side issues. Jesus said, like even in the area of our finances, no one can serve two masters. We know that the money is such a distraction to us. I want to know Christ. As long as he doesn't get in the way of my work. See, that's a side distraction. James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. What he's referring to is, you cannot be focused on all these things and thinking that God's all that one day, and I don't know if he's going to work in my life another day by faith. And Paul says, the one thing I do, the one thing that I'm focused on is knowing Christ. Again, I, I'm not ignorant. I, I do too. I, I know that people have to have a job. They have to buy food, water, clothing, shelter, the most important things. They, they have children in soccer. They have children playing all kinds of sports. We know that we want recreational time and free time and vacation. We know we have all that. But the thing that I'm talking about today is understanding to know Christ is focusing your faith. Say, That's the one thing. I'm not going to allow anything, even if they're good things in my life, that's the one thing. Now watch this. If I get up here as a pastor and I, I start preaching on things that are, you know, just a personal opinion. Don't, don't be wearing earrings, ladies. Everybody, all you ladies need to be wearing dresses. Men, shave all those beards, I tell you, those aren't good. Those are, all, all that stuff. That's legalism that the church can try to put on us. But let me tell you, the one thing that I know is for you to know Christ more. That's what the Word of God says. I'm not going to shudder from that. As powerful as a river is in its banks, that they can, they can harness that, that power and create electricity for thousands of people, but if it gets outside of its bounds, it becomes a flood. It can become destructive, and it can even become a stagnant swamp. But when we focus our faith and say, God, the one thing that I'm going to do this year is I'm going to know you better than I did last year. Single purpose. Single purpose, this is my goal, is to know Christ better. Let, let me just give you kind of a wrapping this up is when Paul is writing this, realize he's in prison. This, this is what even is a greater understanding of what he's saying. Here he is in prison and into this place he's an older man. He's been scarred through life. Maybe they even think that he's emancipated because of all the fasting that he's done and, and, and to the place that he's been scarred from three shipwrecks. 
He has permanent scars on his back that somebody even added up possibly 195 scars and lashes on his back. He has the marks of brutal stonings where they threw rocks at the guy. Who knows? He might have had dents in his head. Who knows? But at this point in his life, he's got all these marks on top of it. They even say that his eyesight is gone. In the middle of prison, he says, I'm like an athlete. I'm striving for the gold. I'm not in a physical race, but I'm in a spiritual race. And the one thing that I'm doing is I'm straining towards the mark of knowing Christ better. Even though I'm in prison, even though they say that I could go to the, my beheading and my execution, I am not quitting. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to press towards God. I want to know you more. I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting. I'm pressing towards the mark. I'm still in the race. And because I'm in the race, I'm going to discipline myself not to come in fifth, not to come in the middle, but I'm going to win the race. They said an Olympic runner was interviewed and they said, what is the secret for all your wins? And he says, the secret to my wins are as simple as this. I forget all my failures because they can come a false fear in my life. And I forget all the victories that I've done in life because it can become a false pride in my life. The one thing I do is every race is a new day and I strive to win that race. Face your faults. Forget your failures. Realize you're forgiven. And then the third thing is focus your faith on Christ. There's a grave at the bottom of the Alps mountain. The grave is an Englishman who died trying to save somebody that was written on his epitaph. He died climbing. I believe the Apostle Paul could have on his tombstone this one thing I do. I strive to know Christ. Will you say that this year was your number one desire? Let's pray today. God, you are a wonderful Father. God, we love you so much for what you've done for us. And giving us your Son. God, that because he died for us, God, that we receive him, that God, all the promises are yes and amen. That we receive him into our life. God, we want to know him more. We want to know Him more. We want to know Him more. More than yesterday. More than ever. Father, this morning, if there's somebody here in this place that has never met You, never realized how important You are in their life, God, I pray that they would make that decision to serve You, to make You Lord and Savior of their life. And Father, that this year they would say the one thing that I'm focused on is knowing Christ better, of making Him my everything. In Your wonderful name we pray. Amen.